So we are continuing this series. In fact, we are concluding this series today on the life of Moses. Um, and, and yes, the end, uh, this is not the end of Moses' story, right? Again, we're ending today at the Red Sea. Um, and this is when they uh, get done. We're going to do a message series next year where we're going to pick up on that. We're going to do one, just uh, a series about wandering in the desert. Um, and so that will be next year. So we're going to come back to that. We're going to pick up right where we left off here. But today we are concluding this series uh, in the life of Moses in this first several years of, of Moses. And through this series, we have followed on the life of Moses. We've started on week one with the environment that he was born into, right, where Egypt felt threatened by Israel. All the Hebrew boys were supposed to be killed, but, but God not only protected Moses, but he placed him in the palace and raised as an adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. We learned that we all have a God-given purpose and that we need to rely on God's power to save us and then to live fully into that purpose. And then the next week, we saw how Moses messed up with his actions and ended up in the desert, removed from Egypt for several years. And then with the burning bush, God revealed his name and purified and anointed Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt. And we learned that when we, when we fall short, that God fills in. When we are weak is when he is strong. And then last week, through the initial interactions with Pharaoh, the plagues and the, the exodus from Egypt, we learned that we should never forget that God is I am. And we see the Passover and, and God give new instructions to Israel to ensure that they will not forget um, the, the events that, and how God brought them out of Egypt, but also to foreshadow of God's plan to redeem the world through the Messiah. And now today, as we wrap up the series, we're going to look at the last interaction between God and God's people and Egypt, because Egypt's not done, right? Even though they've physically left um, the, the nation, um, now they're, they're starting to move, and yet Egypt uh, changes their mind. Right? And Egypt per- still pursues them. Okay, the story has not come to a complete resolution. And we're going to see that today. Again, where this season, right, this interaction between Egypt and Israel um, comes to, to a, a complete close. So uh, we're going to start today in Exodus 13. Again, right where we ended last week. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Exodus 13. If you're with us in person, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to use. You'll notice the page numbers are included there um, where you can find it in those Bibles. If you're with us online, you can grab your Bible and follow along as well. If you don't have your own Bible, then you can listen as we read it. But we're going to start with Exodus chapter 13, uh, starting at verse 17, right, where it says, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Thus, the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Okay, now I want to pause there. And again, we're just leave your Bible open. We're going to come back to it. But I want to pause there because we are given a lot of information in these few verses. As we look at these verses, we, we start first see right, that God brought them out. And then God was leading them on a, on a very specific route. Now, it, it was not the most logical route. In fact, this is exactly what the text tells us, right? He says the, the, the best way to go would be through the Philistine country. That's the shortest route, right? But that's not the way God took them. 
And that's kind of the first thing we learn, right, is that, that, is that the journey that God takes you on might not make sense from the human perspective. It, 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 might, it might not make sense. In fact, that, again, the text tells us, literally, that it doesn't make sense. Like, because we all know, right, that, that's what we do. You pull up the route on your phone, right, and, and it, it gives you the fastest route, right? And that's, I don't know about you, but that's always the one I take, right? I'm like, yep, Go. Right? I want there as, get there as fast as I can go. Right? And yet, it also gives you other routes, though, doesn't it? Right? Other options. And again, and, and again, sometimes those are better depending on, you know, the varying reasons, right? And here we see God gives us the reason why he took the Israelites on the, not the fastest one, right? Not the best route. Right, because, because right, he, again, his, his plan might not make sense from the human perspective. In fact, from the human perspective, he actually took them the wrong way because he literally says he's taking them straight at the Red Sea. And, and, and again, the reason why the, it might not make sense from the human perspective is because God knows the true condition of our hearts. Because God can see things that we, we can't see. God knows things even about our us, right, that we don't know or that we won't admit. Right? God's route, God's, God's um, plan, his, the journey he takes you on might not make sense from the human perspective because God knows our hearts. Right? In fact, that's exactly, again, what this verse tells us, right? We, we are told, right, that, that God knew. He says if they go through the Philistine country, the Philistines are going to give them some problems. Right? And if that happens, God's like, I know how they're going to respond. Right? They're going to turn around and they're going to go right back to Egypt. Right? And God knew where their hearts were. He knew their tendencies. Right? He knew that they would forget very quickly why they had left. Right? And, and, and as we, we see these things, right? these tendencies to always look backwards, in fact, we, we fall into the same trap. That's it's the human condition, right? We, we take a step, right, and, and we're excited about the change, but yet our tendency is to always look backwards, and we end up wishy-washing between something new and holding on to the old. We want to go somewhere new. We want to improve. We want to be better. We want, you know, we want the new, but we also want to hold on to the old, and we find ourselves on this teeter-totter. Right? And God knew that that's what would happen to the Israelites. Right? And we can all identify with these tendencies. In fact, I think one of the most foundational verses of our faith right, is 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and a new life has begun. Right? When we pray and receive Christ as our Savior, when we join the journey of faith and we invite him into our life and, and receive our forgiveness of our sins, we confess that, we repent from that, we start in a new direction, right? We turn our back from the world and we start journeying towards the cross. And, and when we make that decision, when we are in Christ, right? When we are saved in Christ, we are made new, right? We, we are, are washed by the blood of the Lamb, we are anointed by God's Spirit, and, and we are, are start on a new journey, right? A new journey towards becoming holy like God. Right, this transformation journey. And yet we do that, right? we have to remember, and why I'm saying this is so important is because the next line, it says the old life is gone. 
But guess what? We always like to look backwards at that old life, don't we? Right? And that's kind of the tendency of our hearts, right? It's to, to look back. We're always pulled back that way. Right? Again, the old life is gone. The new life has begun. This struggle is true in our faith journey. Right? As we, we're tempted to go back to that old life, to that old person, that pre-Jesus version of ourselves. And we're tempted to that, and again, but not just in our faith journey, right? The, the reality is that's pretty much in every area of our life, right? Is we have to battle that temptation to go, to keep looking backwards. That we see in Exodus um, 13, 18, it says that God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. As we see this, right, again, it's not the right route. It's not the most direct route. In fact, we see that God's actually leading them to a dead end. Right? If you look at, at the map, right, and the, the direction they're going, um, they, they see that they are, are literally going to be painted in a corner if Egypt pursues them from behind. Right? If they do. Now, again, as we see this, we think, well, why? Like, like, why would God do that? I mean, that's a logical question. Right? Why would God take them in that direction? Well, the, we see, again, and we learn from the story that, they, that God led the Israelites on a longer route to protect them from themselves. Again, he knew the condition of their heart. He knew that if they, if they met resistance in the Philistine territory, that they would turn around and just go back and begging to go back to Egypt. Okay, he knew that there was, if there was any other option, right, than stepping into the unknown, than going through the un, into the uncomfortable, right, of, of, of having to step up and fight. Notice he says, he says, they came out like an army ready for battle. And he says he took them towards the Red Sea. And we see he get towards the Red Sea, and he was literally painting them in a corner. This was a geographical roadblock in their path. And again, we see it as a roadblock, God saw it as the next miracle. Right? He got him to that place and took him to that place where there was no other option, right? They had to turn to him because without God's power, they were doomed. They had nowhere to go, literally would have nowhere to go as they were up against the Red Sea. So why would God take them that way? Why would God do that? Why would he set them up for this? Well, he's setting them up for the next miracle, Right, and he's setting them up for the next miracle so there would be no doubt that it was God that delivered them. Right, so that they could never look back and be like, look what we did. <laughs> right, he's setting them up so that there was no doubt. There would be no other explanation that would be sufficient other than God and his power. Right, now again, we look back at that. We see this theme starting to run through. Right? We looked at that last week in the plagues. Right? What, how, where did Pharaoh start? He started with like, yeah, that's not God. Look, my magicians can do the same thing. Right? And, and they were taking credit for what God was doing. And, and again, that's a part of our human condition too, isn't it? That's why, again, we, we've gone through these cycles in our own lives. We've all done this, right? And when things are hard and we pray and we turn to God and, we, and God comes through and we get through it, right? And then, then, then times get better and that's when we forget about God. 
right? And, and the temptation is we look back at those situations and be like, look, I got through it, right? And we, we understand these tendencies, right? We can identify. Yeah, not only did it say it takes them to the, to the Red Sea, but it also says that they were ready for battle. Okay, which also reminds us that this process is not complete. Okay, they were not completely free from the Egyptians, right? The war is not done. This process has not completed yet because God had not yet fully established his sovereignty over both nations. This wasn't just about his sovereignty over Israel, about him being God's people, right? Uh, him, their God and them, their people. But this was also about sovereignty over all nations, right? Over Egypt as well. Egypt and Israel were both still not at the place of knowing that God is I am, without a doubt. In fact, we, let's look, look back at the text. I want to um, pick up here at uh, Exodus 13, verse 20. Okay, as we, they continue down the road here towards the Red Sea. In verse 20, it says, The Israelites left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of a, of a cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Now, as we see this next kind of phase, right, as they're moving, that we, we see as they're going, and God is literally guiding them. And as he is guiding them, this God's presence and his guidance can be visually seen and experienced by the Israelites. It can be visually seen. As it says, it's a pillar of a cloud during the day. Right? It is a pillar of fire at night. Right? So that not only does it announce God's presence, right? and as that pillar moves, that's when they move. And when it stops, that's when they stop. It's his, not just his presence, his literal guidance, but he's also providing what they need right? in the light of the fire. So they can move at night. Right? It is God's presence. It is his guidance. It is his provision. Right, that is all manifested, physically manifested in front of the, the Israelite people. Yeah, and, and God's presence and his guidance, and it, it's, it's a, it, he gives them this visual reminder. Right, you see in verse 22, it says, And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Right, it stayed there. Right, why? Well, because God knows the condition of our hearts. <laughs> right, God knew that they'd be like, well, are we doing the right thing? Is God really with us? Right, and all they had to do was look forward to be reminded, yep, there he is. God is with us. Right, God is leading us. God is providing for us. God is, is doing it. Right, and as they saw this, this visual, physical reminder Okay, is that things move, they move from an act of faith to an act of certitude. You know, these, these are two things, and, and I, I worked really hard to make sure I got the right word. Okay, acts of faith versus acts of certitude. You know, again, what is faith? Okay, faith, as Scripture tells us, right, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is certain, being certain of things that I do not see. 
right, things that are unseen. And again, we start with acts of faith, don't we? Right, that's, I mean, it, it is faith, right? We don't physically see God. Right, and yet, we can find his presence. Right, it is an act of faith, right? Of faith is something unseen. Now, certitude. His certitude is with absolute certainty or conviction that something is the case. Again, the act of faith is something unseen. An act of certitude is something that is obvious and seen, right, where there is no doubt. Again, certitude is action that is based on evidence, right? Because I see this and because this is happening, you know, I can see what's in front of me, then I will do this. That is an act of certitude, right? An act of faith is, is, is an action based on something unseen, Faith, things unseen. Certitude are things that are seen and known. Right? And the thing that we realize, though, again, is that faith and certitude, these actions actually feed each other. Right? When we take a step of faith, then God visually sometimes or manifests himself right, in different ways through his miracles, through his actions, through his provisions. Right? As we follow God's leading, as we step out on faith, then God moves. And when God moves then we see the evidence of God moving. Right? And with every time God moves, it becomes more and more sure. And yet the more sure we become about those things that God is doing in our lives, and the more obedient we are to those things, right, the, the more our faith grows. Right? And the more that our faith grows, the more we become, become more and more certain of things that we don't see. Right? And, and the characteristics of God and who he is and, and all those things. And the more that we learn, the more our faith grows, right? the more the confidence we have to move forward in things that do make sense. Right? And they feed each other. And we see here that God, God is, is, is encouraging the Israelites on both fronts. Right? He's saying, follow me, but here's my physical reminder that I'm here. Right? Here's my presence and my provision. And, but you're still acting on faith and certitude. We see in Psalms 19 verses 1 and 2, it says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. Again, God still gives us physical reminders of his presence. Okay, God still reveals himself in lots of different ways, not just through the unseen, but there are ways to see God. Right, and, and again, a lot of times we just have to open our eyes. Right? And, and sometimes, and give, again, give God credit for things, right, that, that, he, that he's doing. And I'll tell you, just um, many of you know, many, maybe you don't know, but like my family, we went through a, an adoption process, well, almost four years ago, right? And we started that process two years before we got our daughter. Okay, and I'll tell you, we started that adoption process on faith. We started that because we were doing it because God told us to do it. And we were open to that, and we sought the Lord, and he would, he, we had to step out on faith. Right? And then we would step out on faith, and then God would move, and something would happen, and we would be reassured that we were in the right thing. Right? And, then, and then we'd get stalled out again, and then we'd have to just wait and act on faith right? and keep praying and keep waiting. And, and then God would open up and, and the next door in the next phase, right? And it would happen. And, and so again, it was, it was acts of faith and then we'd see God move and then there was silence for months. 
right? And, 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 and it, was, it was just starting to build this, this cycle of faith and, and certitude, right, as we took actions that God led us through. Yeah, and I'll tell you, it's just, you know, fast forward, right, is um, we got our daughter. I mean, Claire, she runs, she's here today, right? She's about to turn four. Yeah, and I'll say, as I look at that and realize that, again, every time we look at Claire, she's a visual reminder of God's provision, Right, at the fact we started on faith and yet now we see this, this incredible little girl that God gave us. And again, we look back at that, that God will give us these visual reminders, right, to be seen and to be experienced of his presence every day. If we start with faith, if we act out on faith and then we continue to be obedient as, as he works, right? And, and as we walk through not just acts of faith, but also acts of certitude. Hey, acts, or let's go, let's go back to Exodus 14. Okay, I want to pick up at verse 1. It says, And the Lord gave these instructions to Moses and ordered the Israelites to turn back uh, and camp by, by Pi Hirahoth between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from Balzaphon. Then Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are confused. They're trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. And after this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camps there as they were told. As we see again this this story progress, right? Then God, again, he's guiding them again in, in this plan that doesn't make human sense, right? And yet God wants to present to Egypt that it, the Israelites have no idea what they're doing, right? And so then they start kind of going in a circle and going back and forth and, and set up this camp. And, and again, it did not take the Egyptians long to forget that God was I am. In fact, they forgot pretty quickly. And then we see um, in this next section of scripture, right, that in Exodus 14, 5 through 14, that the Egyptians changed their mind. Right, again, we remember all of the destruction. I mean, literally, the, there was this wake of destruction behind the Israelites, right, with all the plagues and with all these kind of things. And yet Egypt now, as they've left, right, now they're looking around and being like, you know what, this is terrible. And very quickly, Egypt regrets their decision and they set out and pursue the Israelites with their army, with all their chariots. He literally, it said, the text tells us that he holds nothing back, right? That Pharaoh's like, I mean, even like get all the best chariots and all that stuff and even get the ones that even aren't that good because we're all going because we have to get Israel back. And so they go. Okay, and, and it does not take them long to catch up to them, especially because God kind of sends Israel, right, in this back and forth deal and tells them to camp right here, you know, uh, right by the Red Sea. I want to pick up uh, in verse 10, Exodus 14, verse 10. And it says, As Pharaoh approached the people, of Is the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Why weren't, weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. 
Now here again, the Israelites, right, this, this first, I mean, they do exactly what God knew they would do, right, which is why they didn't go through, through Philistine. Right? And then now the Egyptians come to them, they finally catch up to them, and, and again, Israel erupts at Moses. Okay, we saw this last week, right? They get all upset when the, it didn't go very well in the first interaction, right? And then God starts the plagues. And now here we go. Israel gives the same reaction, right, to Moses as they did before all of the miracles and the plagues and, and them leaving. And again, they, I mean, the Israelites are going back and forth on Moses and with what God is doing, you know, more, I mean, they're going to give us whiplash, right? They're going back and forth so much. And we see, again, they, they erupt at Moses, and yet the Israelites were looking backwards at their problem, not forward at God. Again, where was the problem? The problem was behind them. In fact, the text literally says that. They looked backwards at the Egyptians. Hey, but who was in front of them? God was. Right? It was the pillar of fire. But they weren't looking at the pillar of fire. They were looking at the Egyptians. Right? And as they looked at the Egyptians, right, and they, they came to Moses, right, as they were looking backwards at their problem, not forward at God. Again, exactly what the text tells us. Right? In verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. As we look at their complaint, right, which we just read in verses 11 and 12, it's very interesting what they mention in their complaint. In fact, they, they mention Egypt five times in these two verses. You know how many times they mention God? Zero. Right? They come to Moses, and they, they, their focus is on Egypt. Right? They're looking back. Five different times they address Egypt, and they address God zero times. It's so easy to look at the past and only remember the good things, not the reasons we left, or the bad things. Again, how does this story start, right? It literally starts with it, Israel crying out to God, set us free. Egypt is terrible. I mean, that's how the whole story starts. And yet they've forgotten that completely, right? Now they're just going back and they're remembering these things about Egypt that probably aren't even accurate. Right? And they're like, no, there's enough graves for us there. We could have just died there. It was fine. Right? It wasn't fine. And that's how the whole story started. Right? But then we see Moses' reaction to them. Okay, and I want to read verses 13 and 14, where Moses reacts to their complaints. Here he says, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Now, the, the really awesome thing about Moses' reaction here, I mean, it's a great reaction, right? And in fact, we're going to dive a little deeper into the things that he tells him. But the best thing about Moses' reaction here is when you go back and compare it to Moses' reaction at the beginning of the plagues we looked at last week when the Israelites came to him and were, were all upset. Hey, because Moses reacts incredibly differently. Right in, in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, is when Moses then passes on to God and is, is all mad at them, right? Or mad at God, and, and, and after they complain. This time, what Moses does is he refocuses the people to God. And because God is the real answer to their problem. 
Right? Instead of passing on their complaints to God, which is what he did before, this time he refocuses them back on God. Because he says God is the answer. Right? And we see this transformation in Moses and in his own leadership. Okay, this is what he tells them in verse 13. He tells them, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see will never be seen again. Okay, in this verse, okay, he gives them very specifically three things that they are told to do. Okay, the first thing they're told to do is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid because God's with you. Okay, just don't be afraid. The next thing he tells them to do, step two, is to trust that God will do what he promised. He said, God said he will deliver you. God says that he will protect you. God says he will provide. God says he will do these things. Trust what God said he will do. Because God will fulfill his promise. Don't be afraid. Okay, put your trust in God because just that he will provide. And again, it's a reminder, like, just remember, right? Just what has God already done? I mean, we've already seen God move, right? He is taking care of it. Trust that God will do it. And then the third thing that he tells them to do it is to don't go back to your past misery. Right? He says, forget about Egypt. Right? The Egyptians that are here will never be seen again. Right? God will solve it once and for all. Don't go back there. Don't go back to your past misery. Again, remember what started this whole narrative? The Israelites crying out to God about their oppression. Right? He's telling them, guys, don't go back there. Now, the same concept Jesus taught in the Gospels. Hey, we see these same steps. In fact, we're told not to be afraid hundreds of times through Scripture. Hey, we, we are told to trust God in his promises hundreds of times through Scripture. Hey, as far as don't go back to misery, like I said, we've already looked at it a couple times. Jesus specifically says it in Luke 9, verse 62. It says, but Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. He says, don't, don't look backwards. Look forward. Look forward at the cross. Look forward at God. Keep your focus there. Don't go back. Fight the temptations. Expose the lies. All right, look forward at God. Don't go back. There's a, really, a popular Christian band for King and Country. Right? Their, whole, their last album, their whole tour was tied to Burn the Ships. Okay, and it's this concept that that's talking about, right? It's saying when you get there, burn the ships. Right? So there's no option to go back. Right? Then you have no other option but then to go forward. In fact, we see this in Exodus 14, verse 15, where it says that the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. He said, trust in the Lord. Right? He's fighting for you. Just stay calm. That's all you have to do. And then the next section of scripture is in Exodus 14, verses 15 through 31. And this is the actual miracle. Okay, this is where God shows up. This is where he parts the Red Sea. 
And again, he, he shows up, right? He, he tells them, he tells Moses what to do. The Israelites go through. Okay, Egypt follows them into the sea. And just spoiler alert, I'm just fast forwarding through the story. Okay, that spoiler alert, then God, God leads the Egyptians into the sea and he closes up the sea and, and they, Israelites win. And they, they never actually fight because God fights for them. I mean, literally what Moses tells them is exactly what happens. Hey, as we look at this section, there's just a common thing. As to say, the first thing, though, that I want to point out is in the very first verse in this section, Exodus 14, 15. And in this verse is where we learn, okay, that there is a time to cry out to God. Absolutely, there's a time to cry out to God, but as well as a time to act. Okay, there's a time to cry out to God, but there's also a very specific time to act. In fact, this is exactly what God tells Moses okay, in Exodus 14, verse 15. He says, then the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. This is a wonderful verse. I love this verse. Okay, this verse is a, the literal transma- translation of the Hebrew word that says get moving. The literal translation is journey. Tell the people to journey. Get moving. Go somewhere. Act. Hey, now we see there, again, there is a time to cry out to God. Right? There is a time when we need to seek the Lord. We need to pray. We need to cry out. We need to, 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 to hear his voice, right? Seek his voice. I mean, there's, there, there is a time for that, and that there is also a time to act. We need to consult God. We need to seek his face and his will. That is important. But just as important is once God gives us a direction, we need to move. We need to take the step. We need to follow through. We need to pull the trigger. Right? When God says to move, then we need to move. But again, what does he say, right? There is a time for that. But now is not the time to be crying out to me. Now is the time to move. Get moving. And when the people started moving, that's when God starts moving too. Okay, the people started moving. Okay, and that's when God moved and he separated the waters, right? And they walked through it and they moved through the sea. Okay, and then we see that. And then, then we see the Egyptians follow them in, okay, after them as they're, they're being pursued. And then all the Israelites get out the other side, okay, and then, and then God closes in the waters and literally annihilates the entire Egyptian army in one move. Okay, now right before that happens, okay, we see the Egyptians acknowledge God and his sovereignty. Again, what was all of this about? It was that they would know that he was I am. Okay, this was a battle of sovereignty. This is a battle of power between Pharaoh and God. Okay, and, and, and we see them finally declare God's sovereignty. Remember Pharaoh's original response. He says, I don't know your God and I don't care. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Right, and that, that's what this whole thing came down to. And we see in Exodus 14, 25, okay, where it says, let's get out of here, away from these Israelites. The Egyptians shouted that the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Right? The, the Egyptians themselves acknowledge God's power, acknowledge his sovereignty, that he is a, is a fight that they cannot win. But they don't have a chance to retreat. Right, then we see also... Um, two different responses by the Israelites of this miracle. The first one is that the Israelites respond to God with renewed faith. 
Again, they remember we talked about right faith, right things unseen and 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 actions of of evidence, right? Well, the Israelites respond with a a renewed faith, right? We see that in Exodus fourteen verse thirty one. And it says, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him, and they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Right, which is just basically the question, well, where was their faith before? <laughs> right, but it was, again, their faith is renewed in the Lord and in their leader, in Moses. Right, and there's this renewed faith came because of their actions and because of their obedience. Right, one feeds the other. Acts of faith, right? feed, acts of evidence. Hey, we see, again, James makes the same comment, right? The same connection in James 2, verses 14 and 26. When he says, what, God, what good is it, my dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Again, if we don't act, our faith will suffer. If we don't have faith, our actions will be wrong. Right? They feed each other. So not only do we see the Israelites respond with a renewed faith, okay, but we also see the Israelites respond to God with celebration, praise, and worship. Again, they acknowledge that God is I am, and that that is never going to change. In fact, we see this in, in um, this Awesome passage in Exodus 15, verses 1 through 21. Again, in respect of time, we're not going to read it today. I encourage you to go read that yourself. Hey, Exodus 15, 1 through 21. Read it this week. It is their song of praise, their celebration, right, of everything that God has done and how he delivered them, right? How now, again, they said they will never have to deal with these Egyptians again. Right? And, and again, that's what, they, that's what the whole song is about, right? Is the fact that God handled it once and for all. Right? They, they'd never be pulled back there. And as we look at these reactions, as we think about this whole story, right? This, this, this culmination of so many big picture concepts and, and, and how big our God is, how powerful he is, and, and all these things. The, the thing I want to leave with you today as we conclude this series, as we, we kind of set the story aside now as we move on to the next Next series, but, but I want to ask you this question. What is your reaction to God today? What is going to be your reaction? Now, this is a rhetorical question, but it's not a rhetorical question. I want you to actually answer it, but you just don't have to answer it out loud. David, I want you to answer this question. Okay, God is, I am. And our reaction to him doesn't change that fact. He is an all-powerful, uncreated God. He is the only God. He is the great I Am. He revealed that through Moses. He showed that through the Israelites. Okay, his incredible power, right? We see this action of faith, action of certitude, all these things. What's going to be your response today? Right, will you trust God even when the plans don't make sense from the human perspective? Will you not look backwards but stay focused on God and on moving forward? Will you act when it's time to take action? Follow through with God's directives and commands. Will you acknowledge God's sovereignty, his power, and his presence? Will you renew your faith? Will you celebrate and praise God on how he's moving? Will you never forget that God is I am?
What is your reaction to God today? Again, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. Maybe you don't even have a faith today. Right, but what I do know is that God wants you to move forward. God wants to set you free. God wants to transform you into a new person through Christ. What is your reaction to God today? Because we can never forget that he is God, we're not, and we need him. In fact, as we conclude this series today, I want to conclude with, again, in this next section, and kind of probably the most famous thing about Moses, right, is the Ten Commandments. And my final thought for this series is literally the first commandment. Okay, Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3. It says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. And guess what? That is still true today as it was then. We can't have any other God because he is the great I am. Okay, what's your reaction to that God today? If you need to receive him for, as your savior for the first time, then do that today. If you need to just commit to the next step in your faith journey, right, and, and, and commit to something, to move forward, to act, maybe it's just crying out to the Lord. I don't know what the next step in your faith journey is, but I, I, I encourage you to take it today. Lord God, we come to you today, Lord, acknowledging that you are the great I am. And Lord, we praise you for being with us. God, we thank you for hearing our cries. Lord, we thank you for for giving us an action plan forward. And God, we know that that action plan starts with receiving Christ as our Savior. And Lord, we thank you, God, for our, our Savior. God, we thank you for the purpose you've put in us. God, we thank you for your provision and your plan and, and for showing us glimpses of your presence. God, we pray, Lord, that as we go this week, that we would live out our faith every day. God, we would follow the example, Lord, of, of Moses and always point back to you, not look backwards. God, that we would follow through. We would shine your light. God, so that everyone will acknowledge you. God, help us as your church, God, as we live in our faith, to spread, Lord, your love, to spread your grace, to spread your presence, Lord, through our actions this week as we live out our faith every day. Lord, guide us as we go. Help us to hold nothing back. We won't be afraid. God, we will step into it and trust you. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.